Hello, hello. Welcome to the Scripts and Scribes live stream podcast. I'm your host, Kevin Fukunaga. Happy Saturday, everyone. Uh, next Saturday, we're off for the 4th of July holiday, but we are doing a special live stream this Monday, two days from now on June 28th at 11 a.m. to Paci- 11 a.m. Pacific, excuse me, 2 p.m. Eastern with Emmy winning TV writer, producer, director Mark Blutman. And we're going to be chatting about writing sports scripts, adapting and developing projects based on novels and answering all your writing and TV staffing questions. Uh, that's this coming Monday at 11 a.m. Pacific. And in July and August, we've got a ton more great live stream guests, including lit managers Chris Cook of Skyway Entertainment, Chris Coggins of Heroes and Villains, script consultant and NBC Writers on the Verge instructor Jen Grisanti, uh, Stargate and Dark Matter showrunner Joseph Malazzi, and many more. So subscribe to stay up to date with all our upcoming live streams. But today, back on the show... The OG himself, the first guest we had on the live stream, which was cut short due to the power outage on my end, uh, but he's graciously agreed to come back and try again. Uh, He's a lit manager and producer, has worked at Netflix and top agencies CAA and Resolution. His managerial experience includes stints at Writ Large and Schemers, and now he's teamed up with Derek Epic at Empirical Evidence, where he represents top writers and directors for film and television. He's one of the most helpful and approachable lit reps out there. He is Mr. Daniel Seco. Welcome back, Dan. Hey, Kevin. Thanks for having me. No, thank you for coming back. Last time it was uh, quite interesting, but uh, you, you stuck to it through all the problems, stuck with it. We really appreciate that. As always, you're a kind and, and generous individual, and I appreciate your time and, and patience. <laughs> well, I, I appreciate the, the kind words. I'm very flattered. Uh, we have had, uh, you, this is our 21st episode and you were the first, you actually were the first to come on. Uh, so we've, we've had, I don't know, a lot of episodes between the first one and now, and they've gone well, except for one or two earlier on. So hopefully we've got no issues. So that's, that's good. And the demand for, for Mr. Daniel Seco has been high as, as always, uh, you get a great response. So we're excited to have you back on, um, so I don't recall where we left off. So we'll just start over again uh, in terms of uh, a whole new episode, a whole new show. Um, before we get started, though, I actually wanted to ask you something that I thought was kind of interesting to just get your take on it. I posted a poll on uh, our YouTube channel last night just to kind of see where we were at. And the question was, I posed to some of the viewers, uh, the primary reason I want a let rep is because dot, dot, dot. And there were five choices. And the choices were, I need a rep to sell my scripts to buyers. I would like a rep to help develop my projects with me. I want a rep to introduce and promote me to producers and execs. I want a rep to teach me the business side of the industry. And I want someone to buy me lunch and tell me my script is awesome, which I put as a joke, but honestly, it's sort of an ironic joke because I don't know if that's far from the truth for some people, right? Um, It's probably a combination thereof, but I put the primary reason someone wants a rep. So uh, I need a rep to sell my scripts to buyers, got 20%. I would like a rep to help develop my projects with me, got 35%. I want a rep to introduce and promote me to producers and execs got 35%. I want a rep to teach me the business side of the industry at 5%. And I want someone to buy me lunch and tell me my script is awesome got 5%, although that was a joke answer, so I'm pretty sure someone just thought they were having fun with that answer. But your take on it in terms of what of those things a lit manager does and should do uh, and, and the response based on the poll, uh, based on the feedback that we got, what, what is your take on that? 
No, it's a great question. And I think it's one that comes up a lot. Um, but I think you kind of nailed it. It's a little bit of each one of those, even the buying lunch, though I prefer <laughs> to get like drinks or dinner with clients just so there's no real time crunch. Um, I, I think there's limited value if you just focus on one without the other in the sense that if I had to pick one, I think the developing and the notes process may be the most valuable, but why are you doing that? Why is that something that's top of mind? It's to get it out there to sell. It's to build relationships with executives and producers, hopefully lead to new work, new opportunities, uh, have them come to you with intellectual property, an open writing assignment, something of that nature. Um, so again, it, it's hard to say like just one of these over the other. I think they all kind of are part of the process. But if I had to pick one, I think really working to take a writer that's either good or very good and hoping to elevate them to make them great. Mm -hmm. um, for me, I love that part of it. I love the idea of like kind of getting in the trenches with the writer and really being involved with the creative process. But I also love the selling part of it. I love the excitement of putting together a list of producers and executives to expose material to. And then when you get really favorable feedback, really thoughtful feedback, not just the like, oh, this is great, but like the why, why does this work? That's so validating. Even as much as like getting the checks deposited into your bank account, uh, knowing that a piece of work just resonates with someone it's kind of the like thing that keeps me going. And I think it, it's, it's a major factor for my clients. Like mm -hmm. that level of validation is just, it, it satiates them on a certain level and keeps them kind of in anticipation of what's to come um, as they build their career going forward. Right. Right. Um, we actually have a few questions in the chat already. One was left, I think, yesterday. I didn't know you could do that. They left a question in advance. So I'm going to run through some of these. Uh, and if you have questions for Dan about representation, about uh, material, about, not specifically regarding yours yet, but about uh, 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 the industry, about baseball. I guess he's a Dodger fan. I'm a Dodger fan. Um, I grew up in LA, so uh, I appreciate that. Uh, so yeah, we're going to go through some of these questions and actually a couple people, uh, sent me questions on Twitter and all that kind of stuff. So, well, um, the first question, let's see, Derek Jones says, uh, my script is a drama with strong themes of racial injustice. A producer I reached out to said that it was too depressing. Is the industry looking for more lighthearted or comedic stories right now? Um, good question. I think this, there's two ways to kind of answer this. I think this is kind of reflective of why get a manager versus trying to do it on your own or try to go to producers on your own. Um, the expectation is that maybe, I don't know, 95% of people are going to pass on a project. It's about finding the two, three, four, five that are really, really interested. You know, you're not trying to sell a script a hundred times over. It's ultimately going to sell one time. I mean, a really great script should have a very favorable response, but everyone has their own specific mandates. So just because it doesn't work for someone doesn't mean that that's necessarily reflective of how good it is on the page. Um, in terms of coming out of the pandemic and thinking about the types of material that people are looking for, I think maybe earlier in the year, there was the sentiment of like, oh, try to avoid darker things or whatnot. I, I don't know. I'm 
very mindful not to have clients chase trends. Mm -hmm. I think you can be aware of what's more difficult, but if you're doing A and you think that B is easier, it's probably not. Like everything is hard, I think is maybe the most sobering way to frame it. Um, I wouldn't be discouraged by one person's response. I think it's just, that's them. But if you're getting the response that this is dark from like 10, 20, 30 people, then it's not so much about where it fits in the marketplace. It just may be within a vacuum. This particular material is just a little bit too much and could be dialed back. But again, I wouldn't predicate all your actions going forward based on what one person says. I think that's the big takeaway. Right. No, that's great advice. And not there's there's great material will always stand out regardless of the time frame or regardless of the period that you're looking at. Uh, so something that may be deemed too depressing by one individual may not actually resonate within the industry in the same way. But do you think, as opposed to saying people don't want depressing or dramatic material, so to speak, do you think, on the other hand, maybe there also is a, a, a greater demand for more lighthearted material or appreciation for that at all? Meaning, not to say one is going to be less likely to sell, but maybe another one may be more likely to attract attention. You know, some, something like the uh, 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 Ted Lasso effect, where people really like, want to see something that doesn't have uh, too much weight to it, uh, something with nice people. Is there, have you noticed at all, and I could be totally off base here, have you noticed at all in your uh you know, conversations with executives and producers and such, that there is a greater demand or appreciation or openness to comedic or lighthearted material these days, or is it pretty much the same? I mean, I think there's always been an appreciation for that type of material, um, so long as it's really well executed, right? Yeah, like, that's true. I think it goes back to if it's something that you're already interested in, if it's going to happen organically, that's great, but I wouldn't say deviate or pivot towards one genre over another if it's not like where you're naturally living in the first mm -hmm. place i think like the idea of transitioning if you're a, a horror guy trying to do comedy because it's deemed of the moment i don't know i think that's a little bit risky but i think like if you're naturally a comedy person i think staying in that lane may be a a better approach rather than using this time to deviate into something else i think if, if that's where you're naturally living, continue to live in that space because if that is who you are as a writer, you may have a more, more of an opportunity to to get noticed and to kind of make a connection with an executive based off of, hey, I've done this before, I'm doing this now, I know there's an appetite for it, rather than trying to shift from one type of writing to another just for the sake of, oh, it's a little bit easier. It's like, I think, that easiness, whatever that factor may be, will be lost because you're not someone that lived in that space to begin with. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, Benjamin Feldman asks uh, or says, "Hi Daniel, is there any place that shows which lit management groups are currently able or looking to take on new writers, or a way to tell in general, or any way to tell in general?" I don't know. Um, I'm not like terribly worried about that. I think that's something that you should probably ask other writers. I mean, what's the worst thing that can happen when you reach out? Like, I, I think maybe here's a better way to frame it. 
go on IMDb or go on to Variety Insight or Studio System if you happen to have that. Look for the writers that have the careers that you'd like. Look for the managers that represent the writing that reflects you and take a shot. Mm -hmm. um, to go a step further, you know, it's not scattershot the same query letter to a thousand people. I think it's finding the 20 to 30 that really resonate with you and kind of catering each query specifically to them, speaking to maybe their clients, some of the work that they've done, why they stand out. Um, and if they don't respond, they don't respond. But I think that's that extra step that for me, and I can only speak for myself, when I see that individualized query letter, I definitely take more notice and am more inclined to, to reach out, even if it's maybe a little bit beyond the purview of what I would normally do. Mm -hmm. um, I respect the effort, and I think it helps to distinguish uh, that particular writer from the masses that kind of follow the same plug and play formula that just feels like cheap and lazy. Right. And what I'd say, having uh, spoken to you know, dozens of lit managers uh, regarding this very subject is pretty much every lit manager is open to new clients. It's just the more clients they have and the more successful they have, the bar gets higher and higher as to what that actually means. But generally speaking, no manager will turn down a client, new writer or whatever, that they feel is absolutely brilliant. Now, Again, what that means on an individual basis varies and how much time they have to actually look through queries and read scripts of new writers is totally up in the air. But very few uh, lit reps in general, agents, managers, are completely closed off to new clients or new writers specifically even. But again, are there ones that are more open to newer writers? Yes, absolutely. But very few lit reps will say, I don't want any new clients. If they're saying that, it's because they're probably not interested in you, meaning in your query or whatever. Um, but, you know, if it came from, oh, you know, if, if Dan had a client and called an agent at UTA and said, I have a new writer, but he's absolutely brilliant or she's amazing, has a script that, you know, one nickel, blah, 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 they're going to read you and they're going to consider you new client or uh, new writer or otherwise, right? So it's all, it's all a it's all about degrees of where you're coming from and what you have to back you. But um, very rarely will they be completely cut off to new writers, in my, at least from what I've experienced and spoken to. Yeah, the, recently there was a conversation on Twitter where some writers were kind of talking about, hey, why don't managers who request a script like read the entire thing mm. and notes and all that? And another manager weighed in and was like, hey, like, my focal point, my priority has to be my clients. Mm -hmm. And, you know, if I think about the varying scales of how many queries managers receive, and even for me at a boutique company, I get tons of them. Mm -hmm. And then I look at every query, doesn't mean I respond to every query. Um, but I, I can't say that, like, if I request a script that I have to read the entire thing or give notes, like, that's just a really unreasonable uh, expectation on the part of the writer. And I think like writers need to know that, right? Mm -hmm. Like if it's great, yeah, I will read the whole thing, but if it's not, I got to move on. And I think that needs to be said. Um, I think some writers lose sight of that and kind of question the why behind it. And a lot of writers will say, well, how can you tell it's good from five pages, 10 pages? And the thing is with having been a story analyst, a reader, uh, an agency assistant, I've read a thousand scripts I can say with 99% accuracy, you can tell within five or 10 pages if the script is 
worth reading longer than that. And it's not generally just is my uh, taste in, you know, in line with this, but you can tell by the writing whether or not it's at the level that it needs to be at. And I can say this because as a reader or as a, uh, an assistant or as a story analyst, I had to read the whole thing. So I would know within five or ten pages, but unlike Dan, I couldn't put it down. I had to read the whole thing, but I knew after five or ten pages, again, with 99% accuracy, this was not where it needs to be quality-wise. This is not either a good idea, fully fleshed out idea, the script is not well-written, whatever, and you can tell really early on. And so for lit reps, they just, or even executives, agents, they'll stop. It's like, why waste my time when I know that this is not where it needs to be? Well, it was funny. Someone like posted some weird advice, like make sure the first 40 and the last 10 are amazing. And it's like, no, make, make sure the whole fucking thing is amazing. Sure. Like, like it's just, I don't know. I think writers need to be really mindful of where advice is coming from uh, when you're getting it off of like social media. Uh, I've taken a little bit of a step back in terms of what I present on Twitter, we'll say and I've done more observing, it's super amusing. Like there's so much stuff out there that at best is misinformation. And then like people are like, oh, this is great. I love it. Mm -hmm. Take all my money. Like, I don't know. It's just, it's wild. It's wild to see. Um, okay, so here, let's see. Um, Andreas Anderson said, I sold something recently and have another script ready. Should I use that querying a manager or what or, or wait, excuse me, for the movie to come out first. I I think a sale is enough to move the needle for most managers. I mean, there's a chance that the movie never gets made. I mean, I'd probably argue that it's more likely than not that it won't. Um, take the win, showcase what you've already done. And I would say make sure that the two scripts that you have are kind of at the same level. They'll probably want to read the script that's sold first and then read a second sample. So just make sure that, you know, they're kind of both up to snuff. Um, but I wouldn't wait. I don't think there's really that much more to be gained, especially if the movie bombs. Like, you sold it. That's a win. Whatever happens kind of from there is out of your control. So uh, take the heat that you have and, and showcase what you have to offer to, to managers, and it should help move the needle for sure. Right. Does it matter or to, I shouldn't say does it matter, to what degree does it matter uh, where they sold it to, i.e. selling it to a small independent production company or a low-budget company like Asylum, although I think they develop in-house mostly, uh, you know, small company like that versus, you know, A24 versus Fox, you know, obviously it's a huge difference in range of, you know, I sold a script, that could mean almost anything. Yeah, I mean, I think, like, a sale is great, right? Like, um, I think it's, it's a big difference between selling something versus, oh, I have a shopping agreement or, oh, it's under option. But yeah, like, I think you nailed it. There is a sliding scale of value where at the high end, if it's A24, or Sony, Warner Brothers, whatever, wow, that's huge. Like that really gets people excited. I think so long as it's a company that people have heard of, or at least has some degree of a track record that it's not like, oh, you got a thousand bucks for it. Um, you know, I'd like to think that it's, it's probably at least a five figure sale. Not that someone's really going to ask, hmm. um, if it's less than that, it's like, eh, it's okay. But then again, like I'll put it this way, the lower status of the company that bought it, the more important it is in terms of the quality on the page. 
Mm. right? Like if you sold something to Warner Brothers and it's more very good than great, it's still very interesting because how did that come about? What was it that really resonated with them? You know, how did you tap into the market without a rep to be able to do that? Um, but if it's a smaller company that's maybe on the up and up and this is one of their newer projects or first projects, I think it's gonna be like, okay, cool. That can start the conversation, but whether or not they're gonna engage further is gonna be so much more predicated uh, in terms of how you've executed on the page. That being said, a sale still differentiates you, makes you stand out over the many queries where it's like, hey, I was a quarter finalist at Austin. It's like, okay, it's fine. Like, mm-hmm. it's not gonna really, I don't really give a shit, but like a sale could at least open up the door a bit and give you an opportunity to showcase what you have. And to what degree would a script sale count in a query to you if that said script was like sold to an independent filmmaker who was going to shoot his own film, who just liked the script and paid the person, like you said, a few thousand dollars, but it's a script sale. He was going to, he's, you know, he was going to shoot his own independent movie or it's a company you've never heard of before that's never produced anything, but it's some sort of LLC company that bought the script, you know, for a five-figure thing. To what degree do those matter as well? I mean, I'd probably say for me personally, it would generate a read request, Mm. but that's it, right? Like the sale got you the read request, but then the slate is clean once I'm reading it. I'm not really caring about the sale. You at least got me into the story, um, but you'd have to deliver in terms of the writing at that point. I really wouldn't care so much. Like, you know, again, if it, if it were a bigger company, yeah, that's super interesting. The smaller company, I don't know, not so much. Mm-hmm. Uh, Ian Martin says, hi, guys, hope you're both well. How long, well, thank you, Ian. Uh, how long would you work on a script with a client before shelving it because it's not working? Or do you just keep going until it's done? It's a great question. Um, it's different for every project, every client really depends on our creative process. Uh, I would definitely say there are scripts that have never gotten to that point where I felt confident that it needed to be exposed to the marketplace. I think kind of determining when something is no longer getting better and you're just kind of writing in circles. Um, I, I don't want to put a number on it because it's different for every client. I have one particular client, two, two writers together their first draft is probably like a fourth or fifth draft for most other writers. So like, it's usually like a round or two of notes and then it's ready to go out and they've sold a couple things. So because of that, like, I, I, I can't say that it's going to be the same, but just to kind of speak specifically to Ian's question. Yeah. You, you do kind of pull the plug on something. Hmm. It's better to sometimes move on. You've, you've exhausted it. It didn't get there just because something feels done or it's reached its ceiling does not mean it's good enough to go out. And being a boutique manager, I really can only take very, very good to great things out. Otherwise, the phone calls, emails, and relationships certainly start to dry up. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. Uh, Richard Coleman asks, is it possible to get staffed over 60? Yeah, I, I, I think so. Um, I think it really will be more dependent on your personality Mm. than anything. Uh, Working at a previous company, I saw a writer of a certain age take an entry-level staffing position, but he was someone with incredible humility and grace and 
you know, coming from a different industry to Hollywood, I think a lot of times people that have hit very high success as a lawyer or architect, whatever, it's a difficult transition process where you go from the apex of one industry to having to prove yourself all over again. Like who the fuck cares that you make 500 K doing your other job. If you're not a great writer, you're not going to be treated like a writer that's making 500 K a year. So I think like, why did it work for that gentleman? He knew that it was a complete reset and he acted like he was a 25 year old in, in the best sense of that, that he was eager to learn and do whatever and just had no ego about it. And I think that went a long way in concert with his ability on the page. Mm -hmm. No, that's great. Um, Benjamin Feldman says, when reps ask about my biographical info about myself, what are they looking for? I'm concerned about sharing anything deep. I'll say the kind of genre writing I do and some interests. Is that right? It's different for every writer um, and, and every rep in terms of what they want to know, what they're looking for. Um, to me, I'm not looking for particular things like, oh, did you go to this type of school or nothing like that. It's more, are you an interesting human being in whatever you did to whatever degree? Um, how does your life experience shape you as a writer? What may separate you from other folks in terms of what you can pull from as you craft new stories going forward. I'm not looking again for anything specific. It's more of, do you have an identity hmm. beyond the scope of just being a writer? Right. Uh, Denise Martinez uh, says mayor of East town is an excellent show on air. And I'm not sure a show can get more depressing than that. I guess referring to if uh, sort of depressing, uh, material can get made in these times or, you know, is, is more difficult to get made. Um, let's see here. Uh, let's see. Um, Brian Hashider, hopefully I'm pronouncing your name right, Bryant. Um, hi, in terms of seeking lit representation, is pitching yourself as a writer as important as pitching your scripts? Pitching yourself as a writer versus pitching your script. I mean, I think both are important elements. Like, I, I think what's the recipe for me in terms of the people that I decide to rep? I want to read your writing and feel like it hits a certain level that it's additive to whatever space it showcases a voice demonstrates a particular skill set, but then it leads to a conversation and who they are as a person in terms of how they are conversationally, what they can talk about the vibe that they have. Are they pleasant? Are they positive? Do they seem like someone that is fully committed? Do they have a great attitude? I, I think it's both those things. So like it's, I would say it used to be so much more just about what's on the page. I think now more than ever, it's both of those things. Um, and I don't think I would sign anyone uh, that was a great writer person. I, I think at this point you need to be great um, in both areas. It's just become so competitive TV and feature wise that if you're not, you need to just keep digging and looking for people that kind of check both those boxes. And those are the things that I'm really looking for when I want to take on a new client. Would you say one affects the other? In other words, if someone was really good at pitching you who they were as a writer would affect to some degree, even subconsciously, how you look at their material 
Meaning somebody was like, oh, yeah, you know, I went to the school and I did this and this versus, you know, this is my background. I went to, you know, I was a scientist at NASA. I spent two years doing this and this astronautical engineering, blah, 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 blah. You know, I love this, this and my stories about the, does one affect the other to you when you're reading it, you think? Yeah, I mean, I would say 90% of the people, fuck, 95% of the people that I sign, mm -hmm. I've read their material first mm -hmm. and then have met them. So I would say if I've read something, it's great. I meet them. If they're great, that probably elevates how I feel about the writing. Gotcha. If they're not the best, not like a bad person, but just not great at selling themselves. Sure. It may actually lessen what I had previously thought was their ability on the page. Um, but if we think about it in reverse, you know, I do do some pitch things. I, I did an event the other day with the, um, the, the veterans project with the WGA where people were pitching to me and then I could request the material. I would say those that were truly excellent pitchers that, that could get me excited, not just like so much about the subject matter, but just how they sold themselves mm -hmm. and the story that got me more excited to read their script than those that, you know, it was still a work in progress. Right. Um, I think that's just a natural reaction. I think that's something that most managers would agree with. Um, it's just, it gives you more confidence because it is a skill set that will be required of them at some point in their career. They will have to meet with people. Like, yeah, nerves or something. Like, I don't know. I, I wouldn't say that growing up, I was the most outgoing person, but I knew that I could be a good public speaker if I just threw myself into it. And I took every opportunity that I could. And now I don't have nerves about really anything. Mm -hmm. um, maybe have nerves more for my clients than for myself, just worrying about them. Um, so what's what does that mean? I think like even if it's not something that you're naturally good at, you will get better just by doing it more. That's it, right? Like you don't have to be born of like a perfect public speaker. Yes, it is daunting, I suppose, to meet with executives and pitch your project. It will get easier the more you practice, the more you do it. Like, mm -hmm. I know that sounds so simple, but it's true. It is true. I was a terrible public speaker before this podcast, and yet here I am, right? I'm still mediocre, right? <laughs> um, let's see here. Uh, Benjamin Feldman uh, says, once a lit rep requests a script, what what's the best thing to do after? Is it... Uh, bad to follow up is it just a waiting game or are there more things i can do to make myself considered more highly well i'd say there's a lot of things that you shouldn't do uh you shouldn't follow up within a few days saying hey i'm coming to town hey can i buy you lunch uh hey here's a new draft uh oh, yeah. hey uh do you want to read something else like let them come back to you i would say generally speaking the traditional rule of thumb is two weeks I think that that shifted now and sometimes it's as long as like four to six weeks, maybe even longer. Uh, not that, that that is polite, it just may be more reflective of how busy people are coming out of the pandemic. There's a lot of material. Um, so I think what is the takeaway? Be patient. If they like it, if they like you, if they want to do something, they will be proactive about it. Yeah. And that's the thing. I think a lot of writers will think that you haven't gotten back to them 
maybe they in the back of their head they're thinking well maybe they lost my number maybe they can't find maybe you know, i just need to reach out or nudge them and none of those things are true if they haven't gotten to it they will get to it if they get to it they'll get to it and if they read it if they have to track you down somehow if they loved it so much they will find you <laughs> they will go on twitter yeah. you know if it's an amazing script and you're like oh crap there's no contact information they'll go on twitter they'll they'll find you if they have to i remember getting a link to a film when I was uh, working at writ large and uh, we loved it and we wanted to find out a way to like get to the director and he was screening the film at the Santa Barbara film festival Hmm. and we couldn't get tickets. So we waited outside the theater for, this is me and a much, much more senior manager, a partner at the company Mm -hmm. drove up to Santa Barbara first thing in the morning. We waited outside the theater we waited for him to finish like being like mobbed by fans and our meeting with him was like walking with him from one theater to the next. We didn't end up signing him mostly because the agency blocked it, but mm. I think it kind of demonstrated, Hey, if something resonates with you as a manager, do whatever the fuck it takes to make it happen. Right. Yeah. No, that's great. Um, let's see here. Uh, Luciano Mello or Luciano Mello I'm a screenwriter and a director. I have a script I want to direct. I'm doing a short proof of concept, but the question is, what kind of executive should I look to show the script for the feature? Tough. Uh, No one's going to care that you're like, okay. It's a hard one, like, because it's like a dose of real reality. You need to not show that script. If you're going to film it yourself and do it yourself, unless you're super established and people care about you, no one cares. Hmm. Uh, make the film, have it be great, and then use the link to the film as your showcase. That is the easiest way to get traction off of that. But if you're a non-entity directing something, it does not matter until it's done as a film. Uh, a good friend of mine is a rep writer director He's been on the blacklist. He's sold stuff. He's legit. He directed a 500K feature uh, himself. No one cares, right? And now he's trying to do another project and his reps are sending it out and it's completely an uphill battle. Like, I think writer-directors, oh, it's so tough. I've really shifted away from representing directors and really just focused on writers. Like, unless you are super established, wealthy, and can finance your own stuff. It's really difficult. Like Mm -hmm. it makes a difficult business that much harder. Uh, Not to say that you shouldn't do it. If you're really passionate about it, you can find a way to make it happen. Um, But again, like if you're directing it, I'm not sure why an executive would need to read the script. I would probably focus on using that script to get representation. But again, it's probably easier to use a link to the film when it's made to get representation at that point. Mm-hmm. And if he's just, talking just to my point, like just mm-hmm. to speak from my side, I wouldn't want to like help in that process because I know how hard it is. Mm. But and if he's talking about the proof of concept, like if he has a proof of concept film, not the entire feature, but the proof of concept short and a script for the feature, what should he submit and who should he submit it to? Is that representation worthy? Like a proof of concept short and yeah. a feature script? Yeah, that, yeah that's... Uh, if you have a truly great proof of concept, I think that can move the needle. Um, I would say two years ago it did. I mm. haven't tried that since. 
Um, but even this was a very specific case. Uh, I, I think the goal should be to get representation with a manager that has experience helping writer directors through this process. Uh, they'll probably want to get involved as a producer uh, just to make it a little bit more worth their while. Uh, I would say that it's, you have the script, you have the proof of concept, you probably have like maybe a, even a lookbook with that. They'll probably put together a list of independent financiers that could put in 100K. It depends on how big the project is. If it's like less than 500K, it may not be that interesting to people really looking to do smaller festival fare. That might be something that you need to kind of bootstrap and do yourself. But if the script is great and the proof of concept is great, there are managers that would want to get involved just for the sake of, hey, I want to get a jump on this great talent before they really break in a big way and sign a CAA or anonymous. Mm -hmm. Or being a producer and helping generate, you know, find yeah. the funds for it and things yeah. like that. Yeah. Um, Lauren Holdsworth said, on average, how many script queries do you receive in one month? Also, how many do you request, say, last month, I guess, from the queries that you received? Um, in a month? I don't know. Hundreds? Hundreds, but not thousands, I think would probably be a fair way to put it. Mm -hmm. um, how many do I request? I don't keep track of it. I think it's, there's no limit to how many I would request. I think I look at each one kind of in a vacuum. If it's copy and paste or there's typos or there's reasons to say no, I'll say no. If it's thoughtful, creative, interesting, I'm more likely to say yes. If it actually seems like it's a great project, I'll say yes. Um, but I don't follow a formula. I don't put a cap on it. I don't say, oh, only requesting 10 this week. Mm. It's like, oh, you're 11? Nah, sorry, I got to say no. So I don't know. I don't overthink it. It's not, I can't say it's a priority for me, um, but it is something that I do acknowledge. It's something that I will consider. Um, I did sign one person off of a query March 2020, but they were better suited to say at schemers. So they're still at schemers. I didn't even think about taking them with me to empirical evidence. Now, are feature writers, feature specs more attractive than TV pilots, than uh, emerging TV writers? Or is it pretty much agnostic in your, your mindset? Because I've heard that it's harder to break a TV writer, but once they're broken in because of the networking that's involved, but once they're broken in, it's more consistent work versus a feature writer. It's easier to, not that it's easy. It's very difficult to do either one, but with a feature writer, you don't necessarily have to have the same networking that you do uh, with television. Yeah. Um, I think there's been a shift, at least in my own mindset that I'm trying to be more TV focused. Mm. And I credit Derek, um, my business partner, in really teaching me that side of the business because it just wasn't something I was really explicitly exposed to the first like eight years that I had been doing this. Mm -hmm. um, and so it's not to say that TV is easier, but I think that I'm almost equally interested in kind of who the people are on the page as they are off the page for TV. For features, it's probably a little bit more on the page and just, hey, be a very decent human being rather than, oh, is your background so interesting? Right. Um, but again, like, if it's good, it's good. I'm, I'm not going to say, like, ah, it's another feature project. Nah, or, ah, TV, we've gotten, like, hundreds of these this week. 
Uh, I think it's just, if you can make a convincing argument for why I should take a look at your material, whatever it may be, not even just uh, TV or film. Mm -hmm. If it's a podcast, if it's a novel, if it's a short story, um, we're very interested in, in those types of uh, material. Mm. Uh, David Wales, one of our great SNS mods, uh, says, I got a recommend for uh, writer and script from a coverage company that is not well known. Is that worth anything in a query? No. I don't even think it matters if like you got an eight on the blacklist. Hmm. And that's not to diminish the blacklist, but sorry, I'm chewing on ice. I don't know why. Um, <laughs> it really just matters how something resonates with whoever is reading it. Like, sure, if something sells, I guess it has some more credibility and urgency, and it's probably at least good on some level. But I think like in terms of a rep reading something and wanting to work with that person, it really just matters how they receive it. Does, does it resonate with them? Uh, so like accolades are cool. Like I think if you won nickel or you made the blacklist at the end of the year, like, yeah, I think that furthers your argument. Uh, but a recommending coverage that like a fucking intern or an assistant read, like who cares? Hmm. And it's not to diminish the, the service. It's more of just, I want to have my own reaction. I want to get a sense of whether it would be a recommend or not for me. Where does it fit within my client list? Um, I think it's more of those things. I just, I don't know. I don't submit any of my client stuff to any outside coverage services. Like it's just, I don't know. It's just, it's not for me. Mm -hmm. I don't know if that necessarily, if I'm speaking for all managers, but yeah, I, I would say to, to answer the question specifically, if it's not a well-known coverage service, it definitely doesn't matter. Mm -hmm. Uh, Shortkill72 says, what are your thoughts on services like Stage 32 and Ink Tip for writers to post their log lines to gain interest? Yeah, I think that's good. I mean, I think it's a one way to generate exposure. Um, you know, I think pitching projects to execs uh, through like Roadmap Writers or Stage 32, or even like Coverfly has like Pitch Week. And I, I think the quality of what they have there is actually really great. Um, Coverfly is a really good service. Tom there is awesome. They do a great job of like putting together like a little newsletter each week that they send out with people that they recommend, people that they've vetted. Uh, they kind of demonstrate who's getting signed, what's happening with their clients. The interface for their site's pretty good. Um, Joey Tuccio does a good job with that too at Roadmap. So I think like don't drop tons of money on these services but anything that allows you to pitch a project or get exposure to someone you know it's 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 a step above a blind query mm -hmm. um, it, it allows you to get some feedback i think most people on there are probably going to be nicer rather than be like oh fuck your project this is garbage so you know consider the authenticity of the response you know maybe they're being genuine maybe not but it is a way, if you really feel like your project makes sense for an agent at Gersh or an executive at Monkey Paw, that you can kind of cherry pick these folks and, and get it in their hands. What's my overarching advice? Probably focus on getting a rep first rather than taking it to a lower level agent or a lower level exec that would then have to work it up the chain 
you probably have a better chance of success of getting a manager. Think about it this way. If something is good enough to sell to monkey paw, it's good enough to get you many different types of managers, mm -hmm. if not agents. Right. Uh, let's see here. Um, Tim Theron says, hi, Daniel, best query letter you ever got. Are there any memorable query letters that you've received that stand out? Yeah, someone called me beautiful. I don't know if I remember <laughs> it like as being like positive, but I just was amused by it. Uh, no, I mean, I don't like give it so much thought that like I have them hanging up on the wall behind me because they're actually on my fridge. Um, so <laughs> to take a look. Sorry, I'm not funny. Um, no, I don't know. Like, again, it's not about like writing something that's so ridiculous or over the top that it's, it's just be thoughtful, be creative to a point, but also make a point. What, what are you trying to achieve? You know, is it my clients? Is it my style as a manager? Uh, is it my background? You know, what is it that made you reach out to me? Or are you just scattershotting a million of these? That's what I'm looking for. Mm -hmm. We hear that a lot. Personalize your queries and the more you can include something about the reason, like you just said, that you're approaching this manager in particular, it makes a world of difference. I mean, think about it. Like it's almost akin to like sending out cover letters and resumes. Mm -hmm. If you scatter shot a million that are the exactly the same, you're probably going to get zero job interviews. Mm -hmm. But if you take the time and the effort to really kind of demonstrate why you're right, and it's catered to that particular company or person, it's probably going to resonate. It's probably going to distinguish itself among the masses. Right. Um, Andreas Anderson wanted to reply, uh, thank you for your answer. Just to answer back, the deal was high five figures. So there you go. Uh -huh. um, Ian Martin, there's, there's a lot of talk of pitch decks and lookbooks around at the moment. Is it necessary for writers to create these documents when writing a spec script? No, no, doesn't matter. Mm -hmm. Just focus on the writing. Um, and then Ian also asks, are there plans to expand empirical evidence into the production world or will it stay as a management company for now? Um, Derek has producing experience. I think there's certain projects that we're working on now where we are involved in that capacity. I think it's something that we're very judicious about. I know that there are plenty of managers out there that insert themselves as producers and they're really not additive to the conversation. Uh, I never want to put myself in that position where I'm getting greedy and just seeing dollar signs and wanting to be a part of that pot to just kind of line my pockets. But if there is an instance where someone wants to bring me into the fold because of a role that I played, like a bigger producer wanting to give me that credit, which has been the case uh, lately. Um, I'm happy to take that, uh, but I just never want to be like, ah, oh, yeah, that's the dude that's really just a manager and who pretends to be a producer. Mm -hmm. Like, that's a little used car salesman for me. And I just, I really respect and appreciate what writers bring to the table. And I know that I really only play a small part, so I don't want to overstep. Mm -hmm. Let's see here. Um, Brian Noid, N-O-Y-D-B, Noid. Hopefully I'm pronouncing that correctly. Um, I have heard that you can write a script with a particular actor in mind, uh, then send that script to said actor's agency. Does that really work? Hmm. Um, unless you're repped at a particular place, like 
if you're repped at CAA and there can be a internal conversation and you're a writer of particular caliber, I, uh, sure, but I wouldn't do it. I, I don't think, I think you're kind of, <laughs> you're putting yourself in a very, very, very narrow box where it's a 99.999% chance that it's a pass. And having worked at CAA, I can say that with 99.999% accuracy, that will not work. If you come to us at an agency and say, we want to have insert actor here, and it's an actor that's bankable, that can get you money, that can get a film made. Tom Cruise as an example, because we've got plenty of people sending scripts. Oh, I want Tom Cruise. He'd be perfect for this. I wrote this for Tom. They're not going to look at your script if you're not coming to them from a legit rep, you're coming to them with uh, a, a track record or you have a connection to Tom or you have the money in escrow. Like if you have, you've raised the financing yourself already, you're an independent producer maybe, but you have $100 million in the bank in escrow that you're ready to produce this movie or at least Tom's asking for you, whatever that may be, $20 million for the film. And it's an escrow that if he says yes, he's going. you're going to give him that money guaranteed even if the movie falls apart they're not going to read it because no agent is going to go to an A-list actor and say, oh, read this script. They want to and attach it to a pile of a bunch of scripts that every studio and every production company in town wants them to do with guaranteed offers, with track records, with A-list directors. And they're going to read your script. And even if he likes it, it's going to, it's a tough truck to get it made when there's already guaranteed money sitting in this other stack. There's no reason for them to show Tom or any a-list actor your script uh, and the question always is well I spoke to a production company and I said this is for Tom Cruise and then they said well if you can get Tom attached to it we'll definitely make this movie well I mean that's a blow-off because they could send it to Tom Cruise for a read if it's a legit production company and pretty much if Tom Cruise says yes to almost anything it's going to get made so that's pretty much a blow-off because they know you're not going to be able to get it read that's not to say that if you had a, an actor friend or if you knew somebody who knew somebody, you couldn't slide it to them and hope to get an actor attached. Uh, that's how Quentin uh, was able to get Reservoir Dogs. His, uh, his mother, I think, knew uh, uh, Quentin's old babysitter who was a hairdresser and slipped it through. I mean, it was really got it to Harvey Keitel. I mean, it's just really this weird thing. Uh, so it can sort of work, but going through an agency, if you don't have a track record chances are very highly that you're not going to get to that actor. They're not going to look at it just because it doesn't make sense on their end to send scripts. Cause um, you know, every A-list actor has a pile of scripts sitting on their desk from their agency. Again, coming from, you know, Michael Mann coming from universal coming from, you know, such and such a producer, you know, Jerry Bruckheimer that to come, you know, if he, they just looked at your script because you said it was good for Tom Cruise. I mean, his, he'd have a pile of, you know, the size of the Empire State Building. It's just, they, 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 they're not going to do that. They're not even going to look at it. It's just not worth their time, unfortunately. Um, but again, you can slide it to somebody else. If you know somebody who knows somebody who knows Tom, that's different. But yeah, going to the agency route is not really Yeah, I mean, in. here's a more realistic way of how things kind of unfold. Um, say if someone were my client and we wanted to try to attach an element prior to going to producers, which again is rare, mm -hmm. most likely even going to like known names, but not quite a, they want at least a producer, but I have some friends that are agents that will read stuff and they'll consider it for particular people. And we've been able to attach known entities, not quite stars. And 
it helps a little bit, but more realistically, you would get a producer first. They would reach out to a talent agent at a CAA or a UTA. They would read it. They'd probably submit it for coverage. And then they'd generate a list of, hey, these are the people we think for it. And this is even without a casting director sometimes. Uh, at that point, like, you know, again, it's not stud, stud names, like big shots, but like it, it can still help a project move forward. But again, like there needs to be some guarantees. This should be money. Um, it's never easy. And I hate being involved in that process. I really just want to focus on just getting what's on the page in the best shape possible. And then let those folks kind of deal with that aspect of getting a project done. Mm -hmm. And to your point, I think you are, that's the best route if you have a specific actor in mind, is if you have a lit rep like Dan, and he was willing to do so, slip it to that actor's manager if they have a manager. And then that manager is more likely to read it because it's coming from Dan, not coming from you. And if that manager likes it, then they can submit it either to the agent or more likely to, you know, the client directly. That's, you know, sort of the roundabout way where you can do that. But again, unless it comes from a known entity, the likelihood of it actually landing on that individual, that actor's desk is very small. Um, and, and to your point about also casting directors, I've, I've heard of, and I've, I think I've mentioned it before, a lot of casting directors, I've, I've worked with a few, uh, want to be producers or are willing to be producers and know a ton of actors. And if you can get, if you network with a casting director and get a casting director to read and love, love, not like, but love your script, they have the ability to pass a script on to somebody saying, I'm a producer on this project. Can you, would you read it, you know, and submitting either to the, the manager, sorry, the uh, talent rep or to the client themselves, the actor themselves, then maybe you can get some traction. But, you know, as you said, it's not easy any way you look at it. It's incredibly difficult. These people have a lot on their plates. Every step of the way, people have a lot, ton of material on their plates from clients, from legitimate, I mean, you know, working sources, industry sources, that taking time out to look at material from a newer emerging writer is much more of a risk that it's going to be a waste of time. So it's a lot harder to get them to do that. And you have to do that every step of the way to get someone to agree to read and, and hope that they hope and pray that they respond as well as you do to your material. So right. it's, it's, it's not easy, but uh, I appreciate your moxie, Brian. Um, uh, Benjamin Feldman says, should all query letters be sent to an info at email or should people try to send to more direct emails if those are listed on IMDb Pro or something like that? I think it depends on the company. Um, when I was at Schemers, for example, we had an info account. Mm -hmm. We'd get queries there. Gavin would get queries to his email. I'd get queries to mine. Um, we have something on our website where you can like message us. I don't know. I don't know why that's there. I, I would say like those queries, I don't take as seriously for whatever reason. I'm more inclined and more appreciative of the ones that just go directly to me because it's just an easier way to vet them. Um, so what's the, the answer behind this? I think it's just, it depends on the company. Mm -hmm. I don't want to speak for other places. If you can get something directly to someone you probably have a better chance of it at least being considered by that person an info account at a bigger company is probably going to be run by an intern or an assistant 
Um, but again, your mileage may vary. So it really just depends on the company. I don't know, keep track of it. See how, you, you know, keep a chart. I know a lot of writers track their query submissions. Mm -hmm. So build out a grid and see what works better. I would say that'd be my best advice. Yeah, no, that's smart. Uh, let's see here. Uh, Charlotte York asks, what genres do you prefer? Uh, it's a great question. I mean, I'd say it's more of, I'm not really into animation on the feature side. I'm not really into like dragony fantasy, hundred million dollar plus things in, I don't know. Uh, but I think it's from a business standpoint, what's additive to the conversation in whatever genre you may tackle. Mm -hmm. um, I would say as a consumer of product, TV, film, I like character driven prestige fair, uh, something that would be in the, the mix for awards. I think great writing is what I look for most when I want to go watch something. Um, you know, anything that would land as like a limited series on like premium or streaming, I think I'm interested in. Uh, I don't know, like it, it's tough. It's tough to separate. Like I love Dave on FXX. I love Atlanta. I love Master of None represent those types of writers um just not been my focal point i just you know i want fresh voices i want someone that can do something different i know that's a pretty standard answer but that's what moves the needle mm -hmm. uh, let's see here someone had sent me a, a question on twitter for you uh nathan lathroom said uh how does a screenwriter with no previous produced works not counting scripts written make the jump start toward getting a manager and selling their first script? I think it, it's putting yourself out there, you know, getting your material in the most hands possible, uh, networking, building relationships. Um, I don't know. I feel like this question has been answered many times over. I don't think I can add anything that hasn't been said. I think it's just, yeah, get yourself out there, get your material in good enough shape so that when you have the opportunity or to be read that it resonates that's it and then when you meet with someone deliver mm -hmm. you know be impressive be prepared present yourself in a compelling way be someone that people want to do business with it's obviously easier said than done um but that's what i would do if i were a writer knowing the other side of things mm -hmm. let's see here dennis coleman says how early do you like to come in on a project with your writers at the outline stage, after a first draft, when it's just an amorphous idea? Oh, definitely vetting ideas. Um, I think it's, you know, going through a list of 5, 10, 50, 100 ideas, depending on the client, depending on how well versed they are in the marketplace. Uh, going through that idea list and getting it down to a couple, building those ideas out into one sheets, then treatments, then a first draft, then every draft thereafter. Mm -hmm. uh, I would say creatively, I'm very hands-on. I like to give notes. I want to help shape, but I also know that I'm not a writer. I'm not co-writing this with them. I just want to give them the tools and the expertise and the knowledge to give them the best chance to find success with whatever they're doing. Being mindful of the marketplace, what, what should be maybe top priority, third position, something that should go out at a certain time of the year, uh, knowing where a particular idea would land. You know, is this 
Is this an awards festival film? Is this a blockbuster? Am I going to have to call in a favor at a big agency to get a huge director on board? I try to consider every angle of what it takes to monetize whatever project someone is working on. Mm -hmm. uh, let's see here. Benjamin Feldman says, when lit management groups expanded expand into the production world, what does that actually mean? What are the kind of people they'd be looking for to help develop the production arm of the company? I don't produce. I can't really speak to that. Um, SP says, how can you best utilize Twitter to get representation? I think it's finding the right balance. Um, don't view it as like using people for selfish reasons. Try to like foster organic relationships but like say you can say a manager writes something and you can chime in with a nice comment great do that but don't like hit them up in their dms and then follow them on facebook and instagram and call them or ask to take them out to lunch like i don't care if someone wants to buy me lunch i could just expense it like you know like no one gives a shit about a free lunch like you're wasting my time my time is more valuable than a $20 burger from Boa or whatever. Like, um, I think it's finding your niche to fit in and be positive and stand out. And I don't know, like I, I've managed to attract a pretty decent following on Twitter. I wasn't doing so deliberately. I think it was just interesting that I had been on Twitter for such a long time. Then I changed my bio to say literary manager. And then now I have a couple thousand followers. That being said, I think there was a time where I gave a lot of myself, right? I think give more than you take should be maybe the mindset. And that can be employed as a writer as well. Um, but just don't use people. It's very obvious when you do that and nobody wants that. Um, I'd imagine it's very hard as a writer, like building relationships with other writers. Uh, and then like there's the pecking order of like, if you're at a mixer and there's a showrunner and you haven't even been staffed yet. And it's like, it's hard. I think it's, it's hard to figure out how you fit within the landscape of trying to further your career, but also build a human connection. Mm. I don't know. I mean, Kevin, can you speak to that a little bit better than me? Uh, no, I mean, I think like you would, the, the key aspect is, is with a lot of things, not just in Twitter, give more than you receive. I think those individuals, that are always looking for people to help them and are not going out and helping others tend to be obvious, right? They just, what can you do for me? And I think when you are out there helping others, then you find when you need help, there are a lot of people who are willing to and, and interested in helping you, like going out of their way to help you because you've helped others. And I think that, you know, outside of Twitter, I think is huge. Now, if you're talking just about Twitter, um, like to get representation via Twitter, it's not probably, I mean, it's a great communication tool and you're very fortunate that if you can develop a rapport with someone like Dan on Twitter, that he's more likely to read your material, but rather than focusing on how to use Twitter to get representation, you should focus on how to get your script in the shape where Dan will want to represent you. Because if Dan likes you on Twitter and you've made a great connection and you talk about baseball you talk about movies you talk about whatever and you send them a script and it's garbage because you spent so much time on twitter it doesn't matter right so i think uh twitter's a great tool but it's just that 
you know, you can access a lot of people that you may not have been able to before, but ultimately it's about the material. It always is about the material, period. Yeah, I mean, I would say for most people, you probably shouldn't even be on Twitter if you can't control yourself. Right. Um, there's plenty of people that just say and do such stupid shit that, like, I take notice. Mm. And I'm sure, like, someone like John Zazerny takes notice because he's really active on Twitter. And it's like, why let your social media presence dictate your fate as a potential client before you even have the chance to, like, show what you can do as a writer, mm-hmm. right? Like, it's very rare where I'm on twitter and i was like wow i really want to fucking sign that person they're great at twitter and look there are people that i know in real life that are really good on twitter and are writers and i'm amused by them um i would say this stick to being very positive don't feel sorry for yourself that's such a turnoff like when you're feeling sorry for yourself it means that you've just like given up like no one wants to see that shit like this is hard just because you want to do it doesn't mean you get to do it like I'd love to be a writer. I'd love to be a writer. I don't write, but like if I could be making 500K a year, not so much on TV, but just like writing features, that'd be a pretty cool life. But like, I know how hard it is and I know I don't really have the talent. Um, Doesn't mean you should give up, but I think there are better ways to spend your time than like posting selfies or Mm -hmm. asking like very like baited questions that you're just trying to get a response to get more followers. No one gives a shit how many followers you have on Twitter. Uh, no one cares if you're good at Twitter. If you want to use Twitter to network, be positive and be additive rather than than taking away. Like mm-hmm. there's so many people on Twitter that I would never represent just because of how stupid they come across. Yeah, and that's that's also a great point. I've seen probably I've probably seen more people get negative attention on Twitter based on posting negative stuff, bad mouthing movies, or just saying stupid stuff than I have people getting representation because they were super interesting on Twitter, right? So uh, that's definitely something to consider as well. You know, be mindful of what you post on the internet for when, if someone is interested in signing you, they will look. So just be mindful of that. Um, and, but I wanted to actually quickly go back to Benjamin Feldman's question about uh, production, like management groups expanding into production world. And I, I think that for, especially for a lot of boutique management companies, they don't get into physical production. You know, there may be a few larger companies that do agencies and things like that, that have more of a hand in that, that have a production arm. But I think when most boutique management companies get into the production world, that means they start producing films, meaning they are interested in shopping material around. So they're really, the infrastructure of their company doesn't change. It's just the the, the, the sorts of outgoing phone calls they make change a little bit uh, or may increase you know, rather than hiring a line producer and you know bringing in physical production people uh, because most of them don't do that. So anyway, um, SP also says, what are the main qualities that you look for in someone you are considering representing? I think like beyond the ability on the page, I I think I addressed this, but I'll state it again. Um, Biggest factors, Uh, coachability. Can they take notes and really implement them in a meaningful way? Are they hungry enough that they're going to be willing to give up other things in hope of advancing their career? Is this the end all be all for them or is this secondary? Um, is this something that they're doing everything they can to get better at? You know, what is their, what exhaustive practices are they employing 
that really demonstrate, hey, like I'm fully committed. Uh, I want this so badly that I'm going to put in the time and effort to work to get better. Um, are they reading? Are they networking? Are you know what boxes are you checking to show that you uh, want to give this the the fullest shot that that it needs so that you can succeed? Um, are they decent, humble people? Are they intelligent? Right? Like, are you intelligent beyond the scope of just writing so that? You can think thoughtfully and be able to converse about things and have perspective and properly research when you're going to tackle a subject matter that is a little bit beyond your purview. Um, I guess those are a few factors, you know, mm -hmm. like I, I don't want to say like, oh, I'm best friends with any of my clients. One of my clients, uh, we were friends first. We worked together as assistants at CAA. Um, it's a rare exception and there are definitely shortcomings to that because we were friends first. So I'm very mindful of that. I have friends that are writers and directors that I would never rep, um, but I definitely weigh in on their careers and give them thoughts. Um, so yes, I would say that for me, it's a professional relationship foremost. Some clients, we definitely shoot the shit and talk about sports and travel and other things. Um, but I think it's, a, you know, can we get along? Do we want to spend time together? Is this a relationship that can build? Can I progress you into the next level of your career? And are you willing to do what it takes to get there? Mm -hmm. And uh, they go on to ask, how crucial is it as a writer to be working in the entertainment industry uh, as a PA, writer's assistant on set crew, et cetera, instead of some other type of office or service day job? I think it's different for everyone. I mean, there are some people that are best suited for working in the industry while they're trying to write. And that's the path that makes sense for them. There are other people that would be too burnt out by that, or just don't want to do that or financially cannot do that and need to take a different path. So I think just that's something that a writer needs to be mindful of on their side of things. It's not something that I ever really weigh in on um, unless I'm asked and I've probably haven't really been asked. Um, I think you can make it work either way. Is there an argument to be said that if you work in the industry, you can build more relationships and it may be more helpful on the TV side? Yeah, perhaps, but there's plenty of like writer's assistants that have been on shows for like five, 10 years mm. and like they haven't even sniffed a, a staffing job. So I think everyone can take their own path and find varying degrees of success. Absolutely. Uh, but I will say that I've heard just a lot of different stories of individuals who started off as something like uh, a prominent TV writer, Matt Pitts, was uh, he is on Westworld. I think he's a co-EP on Westworld, was a driver for... Uh, Technicolor or Deluxe, one of the film labs, which led to a post-production PA job somewhere, which, you know, so there are stories of people taking a job, any job in the industry, doing well at that job and working their way into more and more, because writer's assistance positions, uh, script coordinators, writer's PA, they're incredibly difficult to get. And in fact, if you're not already in the business in another position recommended by somebody, you may not even hear about them coming open because everyone asks how do i get a job as a writer's assistant well get a job as a, a writer's pa or a showrunner's assistant first well how do i get that well get a job somewhere else on a production 
that you can be recommended to the person that does that job. You know, so it's like four steps to get to a writer's assistant job. Like no one's going to send a resume in fresh out of college and get a job in a writer, as a writer's assistant unless it's some other random situation. I, I mean, I would say this, and I know that I'm speaking to my own experience. Sure. But if you can get a job working as an assistant at a major agency for a year, yeah. you will learn everything. Yeah. You will build tons of relationships with clients, with agents, with your assist, with your fellow assistants that you will grow up with. Um, it is a pressure cooker. Nothing will be harder than that. Uh, if you can do that, I think it's a really good crash course into how things move, how things get pushed forward, uh, just how hard things really are at the apex of the industry. Um, you know, I worked at agencies for a year and a half before I did management and I worked at a fucked up agency in resolution and, you know, arguably the best agency, if not, you know, maybe second best in CAA. Uh, I learned what not to do at resolution. I learned exactly what to do at CAA. And I think that while my persona is shaped off of a lot of what I saw from other managers, um, my boss at CAA was a great agent and he was tough on me, but fair. I was an asshole, but I'd still managed to survive for a bit. Uh, it was, it was eye opening to me. And I think that I would never have gotten to what little success I've enjoyed so far in my career without having had that experience. And again, I know speaking from my own point of view, but I look at the people that I, I was an assistant with that are now executives at Netflix or now that they're staffed on TV shows or they're selling features uh, or they're directors or whatever. And it's like, wow, like that caliber of assistant that was around me, all those people were better than me. All mm -hmm. those people are now thriving. And I think like that pushed me to want to be better uh, as someone that was an older assistant that didn't come from a rich family, that didn't go to film school, that had zero connections. Like, I shouldn't have been able to work at CAA. I somehow did. Um, and I wanted to make the most of it. And I think I did. And so like, if I can get hired at CAA, anyone can. <laughs> no, and I think that it's not necessarily only CAA. Obviously, there's lots of no, sure. management companies, agencies. So there are jobs out there. As difficult as it is to get a job on a series as a writer's assistant, showrunner's assistant, I don't want to say it's easy to get a job as at a management production company as an assistant or an agency, but they are far more plentiful. There are out there. And there's a wide range of them, obviously. If you have a law degree and you want to work in the mailroom at CIA, hey, you know, go for it. They're, they're, that's, the, that's the step. And if, but if you don't, but you want to get a job as an assistant at a smaller managed, boutique management company, that's fine too. You're going to meet people, learn how the business works. And I, I don't necessarily like the terms paying your dues because it's not like you have to do that to succeed. But I think the networking and, and the, the things you learn and all the resources you gain from doing that will make your journey, generally speaking, easier, faster, and uh, you'll, you'll build a whole network with it rather than just continuing to query and submit and hope you win nickel or something like that. Not that that's, especially if you're not living in Los Angeles, not that that's a bad route. I'm just saying that that if you can get a job as an assistant somewhere, you will benefit your career immensely, period. So, um, 
Let's see here. Uh, Charlotte York goes on to say, I'm a rom-com dramedy writer. Would you be interested in reading those if I queried you? Uh, I have a pilot and a feature of, th of that genre. I mean... I think it depends on the log lines, right? Uh, like, figure out how to find my email address and sure, send me a query. That's, that's fine. I, you didn't need to ask that. I always find that, that that's amusing. Like, people hit me up on Twitter like, hey, do you accept queries? If so, what's your email address? It's like, that's lazy, right? Like, if you want to reach out to me, I'm pretty out there. Like, you can find my information in probably five minutes. Even if you're not that tech savvy, it's it's out there. Like, just fucking do it. Don't ask for permission. Like, I, I don't know. I, I, it almost like rubs me the wrong way that like you think that you have to ask. Like, why, why not be a little bit more proactive and just fucking do it? Maybe Charlotte was asking. I don't know uh, if no, no, if you if you like rom coms and dramedies. Although yeah, it's elevated enough, I mean, it, like, look, we represent one writer that's like the LeBron James of like Hallmark and Lifetime mm. and that type of fare. Don't need to have another client that does that. She does it great. She's working constantly. I think you know if I want to take on a rom com writer, it's got to be someone that could live like mid level Netflix kind of thing. That's a clear step above the lifetime hallmark type of content. Gotcha. Gotcha. Good to know. Um, Brian Noib says, uh, thanks for the great answer. I think that was about the actor uh, okay. querying agents. Uh, what is the best example of career suicide that you've seen in a writer? This should be interesting. <laughs> um, I mean, there's a lot of ways that it can happen. Um, I think from personal experience of watching careers torpedo themselves hmm. you know, people that have gotten me too, people that have just treated others with little regard. Um, I worked with a major writer at a different company that got canceled. And this was someone that was making easily seven figures a year and could have continued to, to do that for many years to come. Um, I think people have been very mindful of how to be respectful and care about others. And there's definitely been a shift, but it's still out there for sure. Um, I remember a time with a former client went to a meeting and I got a call from the executive and was like, Hey, I think the, the client wanted my number and was like flirting with me the entire time. And I was just like, fuck. And then there were other signs from there, like, posting things on social media of like homeless people, like in a very derogative way, derogatory way. And, hmm. you know, that person's obviously not a client anymore, but I think like it's those little signs that make you kind of think like, huh, who are they beyond my purview? And if you do a little bit of digging, they ultimately reveal themselves for who they are. And I think like I can look at my entire client list and they're really all good people because I think that that is something that I make an effort to try to attract. Um, I also know that if they come across in a good way to executives, they're more likely to make a good impression mm -hmm. that it's not just about what's on the page, what's on the page got them into the meeting, but who they are as human beings. Do they want to spend time with this person? Do they want to invest and work with them? Um, and I think, you know, good human beings make that argument a little bit stronger for themselves. And I think it makes it that much easier in an otherwise difficult business. Um, yeah, I'll, I'll leave it at that. And I'm not going to name names, but not every manager or rep thinks in the same way 
that you do. I mean, there are a number, and the ones that I like and uh, get along best with uh, are like you, who uh, definitely make a, a priority. They put an onus on finding good people as clients, but that's not always the case. And again, I'm not going to name names, but there are managers who don't care as much about that. And agents also, um, obviously you have to be professional because they're not going to send you into a meeting that you're just going to blow up, but they're more concerned about, Hey, can I sell this period? Uh, so that's, if, if you're a jerk, maybe don't send to Dan, but there are managers out there who may like your brilliant work. I don't know. Um, like I think it's always a process as a, as a person to try to get better and to try to learn and try to mature and mm -hmm. think about your place in the world and how you are to other people. Like when I was an assistant at CAA, I was not the best version of myself. I was unprofessional and rude and mean and I was super aggressive. And I think now not having that platform behind me and mm. really just having to be able to sell myself, my clients, uh, and really that's it. Uh, I try so hard to be a decent human being. And I, I really want to, again, give more than I take and make impressions on people that like I am decent and down to earth and, and care about championing uh, compelling voices that maybe haven't been heard before. And I don't know, do things the right way, even if that necessarily isn't the easiest way to move things forward, where if you just sign pieces of shit with talent, uh, maybe I'd be a little bit further along in my career, but I know that's not how I want to reflect myself within the world. Um, let's see here. Uh, SB also says, when reading a script, do you pay attention to format? Are you turned off by unconventional writing styles? Yeah. Why, why make shit harder for you? Like, think of it this way. If I'm receiving a blind query, I'm looking for any reason to say no like what, what's the selling like what are you trying to do like you're being too cute like no one like just write something clean like use fucking final draft or some other similar program like i just don't get like you're you're, you're getting gimmicky hmm. and you're trying to like cover up for something that isn't there that's how it comes across right yeah i mean unless you are tarantino or william goldman or some of these other writers who i don't want to say break the rules but send can bend the rules that's a little different because you have that behind you meaning you have a, a, a resume you have you know all these accolades you're a professional you everyone knows you and your work but outside of that even if you think that your script is great if you're doing things that are unconventional you're making people you're putting people off i think i agree so uh let's see here uh Big Vladi says, can you be too old to be a writer's assistant? If so, around what age is that? I don't know. Um, I know of someone that's about 40 that's a writer's assistant. I think they look younger than they are, so I don't know if it's like really evident. Um, I'm not like trying to get writers into writer's assistant positions. I don't really have many friends that are writer's assistants. So I don't know if I'm the best person to answer that. But if I had to take a stab at it, I would say, yeah, there's probably an age where people would feel uncomfortable asking you to do. I think you'd have to make a compelling argument in terms of your personality and humility 
that if you were on the older side of things that you could still make it work and not let age be some kind of preoccupation that makes things harder than they need to be. In reality, would it probably just be easier for a show to hire someone younger so there's no real issues in terms of a power structure or being able to like, hey, go pick up coffee, hey, order lunch, right? Like a lot of the shit work that an assistant, a writer's assistant has to do, you know, I think maybe the argument would be made on their side of things. It's tough to say that to someone that is older than them. Hmm. That being said, I mean, you can be the exception to any rule. Right. And I would go back to what you had said before about that staff writer who was older, but again, was humble, was totally willing to do whatever it took, realized the position that they were taking a step back into and accepted that. And I think if you give off that, I don't know if there's a specific age. It might be more difficult because, as Dan said, there may be certain individuals who may be uncomfortable giving, you know, orders, giving uh, instructions uh, to somebody who is double their age. But generally speaking, if that individual is older, but again, still willing to do it, more than willing to do it, happy to do it, happy to learn and makes that really well known. I don't think there's a specific age per se, but again, it's with all those qualifications that, you know, Dan had mentioned sooner, you have to have that sort of personality to, and willingness to do it and openness to do it and, and, and to learn and to not have an ego about it. And, uh, so, and to hopefully find the right situation where the people who are above you, more senior to you are okay with that. Um, and again, most people I think would say that it's fine for ageism reasons, but, Obviously, certain individuals might not be as comfortable with it. But again, it's up to you as well. Like in Dan's scenario with that staff writer who was older, that it sounded like they were just, whatever you need me to do, I'm here to learn, whatever. I think that eases a lot of that sort of uh, tension or uh, you know, the, the, the issues that they may have giving instructions or orders to older an older individual. And just, just to kind of further that up a little mm-hmm. bit, um, I was a 27-year-old intern. And I know that doesn't sound that old, sure. but like, there were interns that were 18 and I was 27. I had been a sports journalist covering major league baseball, the NBA, us soccer. I had been a school teacher in new Orleans. Uh, I had worked for a travel company as a director of communications. I had a master's degree. I am not a humble person, but I had to be. Hmm. And I remember meeting with, the producer at one of the places I interned and he was going to put me up for all these agency jobs, which he did. And he's like, how old are you? And I told him, and he's like, all right, say that you're 23. If they ask. And I did because like, it's not that I was old, but I didn't want to give them any reason to say no. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, that makes sense. Um, so it's about, an hour and a half into it. We have a few more questions in there. Do you have time to stick around for a couple more or do you have to run? I'm good. Okay. So let's keep going. We've got a couple more here. Um, Tom Holowak Holowak, uh, says, Aloha, Dan. Looking forward to learning more from you. There's been a lot of chat on Twitter about how writer's assistants and script coordinators are way underpaid and overworked. Do you have any comments? Yeah. I, I mean, I saw all those mm-hmm. conversations on Twitter um it seems like that side of the business is very top heavy in terms of 
showrunners making fucking bank mm-hmm. and then people scraping by uh the non-staff writer positions that make up a writer's room or a show you know, a lot of these people are racking up credit card debt having to work other jobs like driving uber or something uh taking loans from family members and it's like they're grinding like and they're the necessary sauce to make these shows work like pay them a fucking living wage uh it's horrible i I mean i wish i could do something about it i I mean i think vocalizing here on this podcast is a small step um i even think about like when i was an assistant i drove uber and lyft on the weekends to make extra money because i was not rich And I hate to say the like, oh, what are you willing to do? What are you willing to give up mindset? But like, there needs to be progress made so that the point of entry is easier, right? Like, can you attract talent that can afford to move to LA and have an apartment and pay their car payment, right? Like, there are plenty of people out there that can't even get their foot in the door because that level of compensation just precludes them from being able to come out to LA in the first place. So I think if we're trying to live in a time of inclusion and open-mindedness and hey, the point of entry is open to anyone, it starts with paying people more realistic wages so that they can come to LA, live in LA and not be burdened financially because the show is just being so fucking cheap and, and taking advantage of their talents. Yeah, no, it's hundred percent. And I know it's, it's a lot about TV writers and TV staffs in particular, but I even remember working in features, you know, again, PAs uh, and a lot of the entry level positions in those areas are still woefully underpaid as well. So, but yeah, it's, it's definitely something that hopefully will be rectified, but you know, we'll see. Um, Fee H says, thanks for taking the time to answer these. I know John Zalzerini's thoughts on road trips uh, specs, but I'd love to hear yours. Do you like road trip movies? Uh, it's execution dependent. I mean, there's a version of a road trip movie that could be great. Is it a thematic device that moves the needle one way or the other for me? Mm-hmm. Uh, I'd say it's probably more of an uphill battle to impress me with a road trip movie, uh, mostly because it feels like it's been done to death and it's difficult to introduce something that feels additive to the space. But again, like if something is just truly great writing, it always will have a chance. Even if it's just a sample and starts the conversation, it could be an effective sample. Right. But you don't have any specific aversion to road trip movies. You just. uh, uh, No, I mean, I just I know that it's not something that's going to immediately move the needle for executives or producers just off road trip. Uh, I think it's well, if you can really be fresh and outside the box. Mm -hmm. Sure. But if it's not, it's probably a non-starter. Gotcha. Gotcha. That's great. Um, thank you for your time today, Dan. I greatly appreciate you coming out, uh, doing this again. We didn't have any problems this time. Still running, so that's great. Um, so be sure to follow Dan on Twitter if you don't already, which I'm assuming most of you do, but it's at Daniel J. Seco, S-E-C-O. Um, he's great. He always has great insights and information on there, and he's definitely uh, one of the nicer and more active people on the platform. 
Um, and uh, next week, next Saturday, we're off for the 4th of July holiday, as I mentioned. But tune in this Monday, so two days from now at 11 a.m. Pacific, 2 p.m. Eastern, for a special Monday episode with Emmy Award-winning TV writer, producer, director Mark Blutman. And we'll be back on our normal schedule Saturday, July 10th, with lit manager Chris Cook of Skyway for more lit repy goodness. Uh, thank you all for joining us today. Thank you, Dan, as always. It's always a pleasure to talk to you, and we'll have to have you back on again. Now that we know this is working and we don't have any problems, uh, we'll have to have you back on again soon. Thank you, Dan. Thanks, Kevin. 